to deal with whatever is ailing her. And we need to pray with specificity for other members of the church as well, too. Your development as a believer in Jesus Christ comes from praying with specificity to know how God is answering your prayers. That's one takeaway from all of this. So we're looking at that prayer. Whatever you wrote down, if you wrote down anything at all. I don't know if you did the homework or not. I'm not grading on a curve. I'm not going to grade you on those things, but this is something that we need to do. How do we pray and wait well for the Lord? Well, what it comes down to is saying when you're praying to him and knowing that he is in charge of everything, he is the Lord of all, he is in control, there's nothing that's going on that gets past him, it comes back to saying, it is well with my soul, Lord, whatever way you answer that prayer, however you handle that prayer, that's what I am willing to accept. Amen? That's what I'm willing to accept. Now, we have to get ourselves to a place where that is what we really believe and feel. Because some of us are not necessarily going to come to that conclusion the first time out when we start praying with specificity. Especially if we're praying for something like healing from cancer or healing from any kind of ailment where there is a terminal ending. So we have to understand that this is not just about basic prayer. This is a very deep, intimate prayer. Or in some cases, remember that experiment we did? Well, it was an experiment. But that thing we did where there was prostrate prayer? Well, you're literally getting down on the floor on a mat. And you're spreading yourself out before the Lord. And really looking with deep, intense prayer. Now, I'm going to challenge you that that exercise was not necessarily... Something that everybody would really understand. Because prostrate prayer means a very deep, intimate prayer. And I challenge you that some people don't know how to do that. This is something we have to work on. We have to practice it. It's something that we have to get more in-depth with over time. And frankly, time is a great teacher. The more you live, the more you're going to have different experiences in your life where you decide, oh, maybe I should be really praying for something like this. Maybe this is something that needs some, a little bit more intensity. Certainly you have people in your family who don't know the Lord who need to have God touch their lives. Amen? Well, that's that supplication thing I'm talking about. You're praying for other people that you know don't know the Lord. Why? Because you have an eternal perspective on what prayer does. Eternal perspective. We need to take prayer and now put it into an eternal perspective. The eternal perspective gives us the reminder, it is well with my soul. Because we know what salvation means. We know what living eternally means. Where God, Jesus Christ, says he's prepared a place for us. Well, we understand what that means, but now we want to see that also for people in our lives that we know who don't know the Lord. Children of ours that don't know the Lord. Education is a great teacher. What's our education in Scripture? 
the Bible. The Bible. One of the things that's being focused on right now, I think today might be the day or yesterday, was the day about human trafficking. There's been human trafficking. And human trafficking, now first of all, human trafficking has been around forever. Amen? It really has. This is nothing new, but now we're talking about education and awareness. And the most important thing that you do to combat human trafficking, because these people coming from the shadows, they're not something you can necessarily hide from. They're just there waiting to spring out and get somebody. The best education is what? Reading up on it, studying about it, learning about it, and knowing what to look for and staying aware. And teaching your children about what to look for. Teaching your kids. Because human trafficking is based upon the element of surprise. The element of surprise. It's kidnapping. Kidnapping is something that we've heard before. We know what kidnapping is. Someone's being taken. It doesn't belong to them. Pardon me? Against their will. Absolutely. So our best education... When it comes to learning about how to pray to God, starts with the Bible. Reading and studying the Bible. Becoming more familiar with Scripture so that God can deal with whatever is going on in your life. And even as you're waiting for prayers to be answered, He still encourages you and comforts you with, your, with His presence in your life. Habakkuk sat patiently and waited on his side of the chessboard, waiting, watching, and knowing God would move visibly, how and when he chose that his move would always be right. That's really important for us to understand. No matter what God does, it's always right. It's right according to his will and his purpose. And the only way you know that is by reading Scripture and studying Scripture. God doesn't make any mistakes. Amen? Amen. You have to believe that. The moment we get in trouble, where we get in trouble is when we start putting God and putting Him at a level as a human being. A human being rationalization. A human being decision making. God has never made a mistake. It's not in his character to do so. He's always right. But the only way you're going to know that is by studying scripture and looking at God's character over time. Remember I said time is a good teacher too? Being experienced, life experience. It was really an amazing thing when you could go to, you could get college credit for life experience. Where your job and whatever you were involved in for 10, 15, 20 years, they'd give you college credit. Because what is there to teach you? You already learned something. Well, sometimes our life experiences are teachers too, amen? We learn from life itself. Let's do the same, okay? Today, meditate upon this piece of truth. This is from Isaiah 64, 4. From ancient times, no one has heard... No one has listened to, 
No eye has seen any God except you who acts on behalf of the one who waits for him. Who waits for him. How easy is it for us to wait on God? Oh, nobody's hand went up. How about that? No one's hand went up. Which means you're being truthful about this whole thing about waiting on God. And God knows exactly that it's difficult for you to wait on him. That's why this verse is here. He's encouraging you, even if it's tough, wait on him anyway. Wait on him to see what he's going to do. If you were the only human being on earth, like Adam and him, then it wouldn't be that difficult for you to see God working quickly because there's only you. The reality is, is that there's millions and, and billions of people where he has to work according to his will to do what? Get everyone to recognize the importance of being saved, seeing Jesus Christ. And I have to also add, we're in a fallen world. We're in a fallen world. In a fallen world, that's when things for Adam started to fall apart. The fallen world aspect is why we are in this fallen world. Because of Adam's sin. Remember, Adam was created and had no knowledge of sin until... Genesis chapter 3. When we read what happened about the fall of man. And that's when everything got turned upside down. We need to understand that in a fallen world, we have to truly wait on the Lord for us to see what he is really truly doing for us. I'm on page 4 of the handout now. You want to follow along with me. I was at the bottom of page three, and we flip the page to page four. Now, let's get back to this thing about how would you respond when God tells you, I'm going to do some amazing things. You just wait and see, and you won't believe it even when you see it. Because that's exactly what Habakkuk was told. If God told me he was about to amaze me, I'd be brimming with excitement and anticipation. Well, that's a fair statement. Would you be excited? Would you be anticipating it? I'd be bringing with, brimming with excitement and anticipation. I'd be quoting every generous act and every perfect gift is from above. From James 1.17 and smiling big about God because he is good and gives good gifts. Often when God gives us a clue, we will be amazed by his answer. It feels like anticipating a Christmas present or at a surprise party. When God told Habakkuk he would be amazed, it was a surprise, it was a surprise coming all right, but no party included. Now let's take a look at Habakkuk 6, pardon me, Habakkuk 1, verses 6 through 11. Go back to Habakkuk.
Now, you know, in verse 5, that's when God said, Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Now, let's look at verses 6 through 11. For behold, verse 6, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. So look at this passage now. What was the surprise nature of God's answer to Habakkuk's prayer? Tell me. Yes. The fact that, did everybody hear that? The fact that he's raising up these evil, bad people who do nothing but wreak havoc and devastation wherever they go. Not just evil people, but evil, destructive people. It's one thing to be evil, it's another thing to be destructive. They rip through everything, and they've got the resources based upon the animals they've got, their horses. They come with violence. So he's raising up this group of people to march through the breadth of the earth, seize dwellings not their own. Now, what did we just get through just talking about earlier about human trafficking? These people come and they rip your life apart in a very violent way, not necessarily an action against you, but they'll take your child. And they'll overpower you doing it. So he's giving a descriptive here about answering the prayer about raising up the Chaldeans. Okay. How did God describe the Chaldeans, or the Babylonians is what is referred to here on our text. He described them as basically ruthless. They gather captives like sand. Well, how many of you have ever tried to, to uh, count grains of sand... On the beach. Yesterday was warm enough. I felt like, well, all we need now is a beach. We just need to go walk on a beach somewhere. It was 70 degrees. Very nice. And it's going to snow. Yeah, right. But ever try to count grains of sand? It's giving you the indication that the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, are coming after you. And there's no limit to what they can accomplish. 
Okay, so they weren't the nicest of people. Jennifer Rothschild puts it in such a way where, yeah, they're not very nice people. God captures the nature of this enemy with the words like bitter, impetuous, fierce, and terrifying, just to name a few. I'd say that's the kind of amazing answer to prayer we wouldn't want. Amen? You don't want that. You want to hear about something that's good. Habakkuk longed for the injustice of his people to cease. He pleaded with God to help them live rightly, but perhaps Habakkuk and God had different answers in mind. There comes a point, and we have to look at this for what it really is. And, and we are still called to do what? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Amen? But we also know the heart of the individual and the stubbornness of some people And one thing that we learn when we look at the life of Jesus, he knew the hearts of those who were opposed to him. He knows the hearts of those who do not choose to follow him. And we also know, it's almost like a 50-50 proposition that Jesus, when he was on earth, he had 50% of the people loved him and wanted to follow him, and 50% of the people including the Pharisees and whoever it was, they didn't want to follow him. They had made a decision, in spite of all of the miracles, all the evidence, they choose not to follow him. Because their hearts were exceedingly wicked. Wicked hearts. So Habakkuk wanted his people the injustice of his people to cease, perhaps God was answering this prayer and saying, well, are these people worth going after? Well, we don't know exactly. But he's answering the prayer in such a way that says that perhaps they just need to be, have a lesson taught to them. Remember, the Jewish people many times were referred to as those stiff-necked people. Stiff-necked, and I'll just add hard-headed too. Stiff-necked and a hard-head. Because they chose to continue to disobey what God had told them. Even though God had given them all kinds of information for them to glean upon and say, I'm the God you should be following. And he says, don't follow other gods. Don't go after other things. Don't go after those things that distract you from remaining obedient to me. Because as we always remember, the only way you can love God is to be obedient to him. It's obedience. So Habakkuk had one answer to prayer in mind. God gave him an answer, but it probably wasn't the answer that Habakkuk was looking for. And you know, sometimes we need to understand that too when we pray to God. Sometimes the answer that you want is not going to be what he gives you. But that doesn't mean that we have a bad attitude about it. If we trust God knows what he's doing, then what's wrong with the way he answers it? It's just a question to ask. Now, 
facts over feelings. You may not like the answer. That doesn't change the fact that the answer is just and correct. I know. Wah, wah. You may not like the answer, but that doesn't mean the answer isn't just and correct. Because now we are training ourselves and teaching ourselves to understand, Lord, whatever answer you give, it is well with my soul. You're thinking and praying and living with an eternal perspective. Let's continue. Habakkuk longed for the injustice of his people to cease. He pleaded with God to help them live rightly, but perhaps Habakkuk and God had different answers in mind. Couldn't God just rain down some manna as a reminder of his goodness, and that kindness would lead them to repent? That would amaze, wouldn't it? But the amazing answer was in the form of an enemy attack. Let me ask you a question. If God were to rain down manna on some hard-hearted people and show them his goodness as a reminder for what he did many, many years ago for the people when there was no food, do you think people would appreciate that? Why? You just said no. I said, and you said, why? Okay. Yes, right. Okay. That's right. That's right. That's right. Well, even when God did give the people manna, what happened even during that process? This is something that it was never recorded to happen any other time before that. So this is the only example we have. It's the only thing, example we have in Scripture. But even what happened then? Once again, those hard-headed, stiff-necked people. They felt they deserved it, some of them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They felt they deserved it. They were given something, and, and even then, they didn't like, you know, maybe it was a, they didn't like the fact that they were eating this type of food as opposed to getting real food. So then God sends this quail down there and allows them to eat that and said, take only a certain amount. And some greedy people took too much. You see what I mean? This is why we need to learn First of all, learn to appreciate what you have. Learn to appreciate what God gives you now. You know, learn to appreciate where you are in your position in life. First of all, it ain't a guarantee. And we need to understand that sometimes we need to look at our perspective when it comes to answered prayer. Our perspective. Our perspective. Not every answer to prayer that we receive is a good one from our perspective. 
How do you usually respond when you get bad answers to your request from God? This is what we're teaching here. A true believer in Jesus Christ should not have a you-know-what attitude problem. Okay? Now, I'm serious. I, I kind of edited that a little bit. But we need to understand that we as believers in Jesus Christ cannot have a blankety-blank attitude problem. Because that's exactly what this is all about. This is what you're learning here. If you truly are a believer in Jesus Christ and you're trying to disciple folks and talk to them about the realities of life, you can't come with a chip on your shoulder. Because God didn't answer a prayer the way you wanted him to. Now, I'm going to tell you something. A lot of folks do have a chip on their shoulder. Because God didn't answer a prayer they wanted to have answered. Somebody may have died that they didn't want to see die. We need to understand that. I'm sorry. Hi. <laughs> um, there's been times that I prayed. Okay. And then God didn't answer my prayer. And it got down the road or a while later. Mm-hmm. And I look back and I think, hmm, I feel like God didn't answer that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he saw better for me than that. That's right. Now, that's the case where time is a good teacher. Because you understand that you had to see events take place or things happen within that experience to understand, yeah, probably better, it was better off that you didn't get the answer that you wanted. Which is a blessing. How many of you uh, take it that way where if God doesn't answer a prayer, it's really a blessing? Because he's looking out for your best interest. Say it again. Yeah. He did you a solid is what it is. He spared you from something that would have been really troublesome in your life. You're praying for it thinking, oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be all gravy. The worst thing that a lot of people... You had your hand up, didn't you? No, okay. I just want to make sure because my mind is whirling here. What do people do who have a lottery mentality? I wish... Now, this is not a... These are secular. This is a secular way of thinking. But they want to hit... A bazillion dollars. It doesn't even matter how much money it is. $100,000. Whatever it is, because they think it's going to be what? You know, put them on easy street. And I'm going to tell you something. Nine times out of ten, it ain't going to do anything like that. More money, more problems. But people don't see that and understand it until it happens to them. They have to experience it. What you think you want ain't what you really want. That's right. We expect God to give us what is good in response to our prayer, and there is biblical support for that expectation. Now, we look, we all want good. Amen? Okay. 
So let's take a look at Matthew 7, 9. Based upon God's goodness, we say it all the time, God is good. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Now, caution. We say a lot of things sometimes that are almost like rote. God truly is good. He is a good God. But we also need to understand that there are people who are still learning about God's goodness. Still learning about God's goodness. Who is this God? They're still learning about that. So they need to be taught about God's goodness. What does that mean, God is good? God is good all the time. Can you articulate that in words? Well, you should be able to. You go by what? Your personal experience. You can only speak to how God is good based upon your personal experience. Your life experience. You know exactly what it means to say God is good, but you know some people who are learning about God still need to see the totality of this thing that says God is good. The expectation is there. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will you give him a stone? Well, God is saying if you ask for something, he's not going to give you a stone if you're asking for bread. Remember what God says in Promises? He takes care of you. How does he take care of you? Well, one of the basic things that we need is what? Food. We need food. We have to eat. You have to have water and you've got to have food. You can live on bread and water. Amen? You may not like living on bread and water, but you can live on bread and water. Bread and water are the essentials. Food and water. That's all you need. You see how blessed you are? Some of us have steaks. Some of us eat chicken and eat chicken and eat chicken. But you can live on bread and water. And God knows if he takes care of the birds and the animals who you don't feed, he certainly can take care of you. So we need to understand that he does what he needs to do to take care of you, and you are even blessed beyond that. You see what I mean about appreciating? You should never have a bad attitude when it comes to how God has taken care of you. You may not like stuff that happens in between, but when you get right down to the nitty-gritty, you should never have a bad attitude as to how God has taken care of you. You know you've been taken care of. You, oh, I have a spirit of thanksgiving. Absolutely. Thanksgiving should be a year-round proposition for believers. Of course, we have it in Thanksgiving in November. That's great. But we understand where that comes from. It's giving thanks to who? God himself. We are giving th- It's a year-round proposition for believers. Giving thanks because, if you don't get nothing else out of the lesson today, You've had more than bread and water every day for a long time. Amen? Yeah. And we're all at different income levels. And guess what? The person in this room with the lowest income level has eaten pretty well anyway. 
No names. Don't need to, because we already know how God has taken care of us. We already know it. We're living examples of it. So you should never, ever have an attitude problem about stuff like this. Now, does it mean you have to check yourself on occasion because you get into a little bit of a funk? Yes, it certainly does. And you ask for God to forgive you. Forgive me for my fleshly behavior. To whom does Jesus compare God in this verse? There are some checkbox answers there. King, father, pushover, genie, benefactor. Go back to the top of Matthew 7. Matthew, well, not to the top. Matthew 7, 7. Matthew 7, 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Now, this verse challenges you with, number one, your attitude. Because now you're looking at this from a standpoint of saying, if I'm truly looking to the Lord and being sufficient in Him and content in Him and looking to Him as being where I'm the recipient of His beneficiary behavior, I'm truly blessed. So who does Jesus compare God to in this, this verse? King, these verses. King, father, pushover, genie, benefactor. Now, second bell? Uh, okay, well, we're going to stop there. <laughs> we'll stop there. Think about this question. Go back and look at that passage. I'm going to include 7 through 11 because... I think nine by itself leaves a little bit to be desired, just leaving it there. But I want you to look at this and say, and understand now, when you're discipling people and talking to people, I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you over and over again. They are learning. You may know more than they do about what Scripture is saying. You're going to be teaching these people. You need to be able to teach these people with the understanding. They're learning something. There's all kinds of ways of learning. There's ways to learn in the classroom and there's ways to learn in life. Amen? You have to disciple people and show them God's goodness sometimes when they don't quite know what they're looking at. And we're still going to get back to this thing about the, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, answering prayer too. So we'll circle back to that as well. Okay, let's close out. Remember where I'm leaving off here. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us to 
Look at your word and look at the examples of your word, how, Lord, you teach us with your word. Lord, we are reminded to read what you have to say, to communicate with us, and to glean upon it and to listen to what you have to say and speak to us even when we're not, we're not reading. Be sensitive to the spirit, leanings of the spirit as you teach us and develop us. We thank you, Lord, that we are always learning from you. We are always learning to do as we learn more about you. Thank you for giving us an eternal perspective in how we pray. Thank you for helping us to remember those in need of prayer. Thank you for reminding us to just not just pray, but ask. Continue to seek after you. And we give you praise and thanks, and we ask that you also bless the upcoming message and the speaker in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. We'll pick up next time.